The gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yeah, and besides all this, it is the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near to the village in which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Were our hearts not burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. In Rabbi Lawrence Kushner's book, God was in this place, and I, I did not know. He observes that in Jewish tradition, the splitting, the parting of the Red Sea was so extraordinary that on that day, even a common servant beheld more than all the miracles beheld by Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel combined. Kushner goes on to detail one Jewish legend that tells of two Israelites, Reuben and Simon, who had a different experience. Apparently, the bottom of the sea, though safe to walk on, was not completely dry, but a little muddy like a beach at low tide. Reuben stepped into it and curled his lip. What is this muck? Simon scowled. There's mud all over the place. This was just like the slime pits of Egypt, replied Reuben. 
What's the difference, complained Simon? Mud here, mud there, mud everywhere. It's all the same. The story then closes with these words. And so it went for the two of them, grumbling along all the way across the bottom of the sea. And because they never looked up, They never understood why on the distant shore everyone was singing those great songs of praise. For Reuben and Simon, the miracle never happened. It's strange that we can miss something so grand or obvious, especially when that something is right in front of our faces. Uh, When we lived in Boston, there was a large park near our home, and it seemed like at least once a month we'd see a giant banner advertising one fantastic event after another. The only problem was that we seemed to always see the giant banner the day after or even the hour after the event had already ended. Sometimes we overlook signs large and small. We can be so busy thinking about our own priorities that we don't take stock of the frown or the smile on the face of someone that we love and care about. We can close our eyes to pain, tragedy, and violence because sometimes we just don't want to see things so clearly and fully. And we can refuse to make time in our schedules and day planners for the people and the places that matter. After all, we're busy and we have enough to be excited about on our own before paying attention anywhere else. I think it's interesting to think about the idea of vision in Scripture. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah talks about those who have eyes to see, but not the eyes to perceive, to understand In the same way, Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 2, talks about those who have eyes to see, but who do not see. Luke and the other gospel writers make a lot about sight. Put another way, the gospels focus a lot on what a kingdom of God optic should look like. How should a follower of Jesus Christ use his or her eyes? What or who should they see? And then more importantly, how does seeing lead to perceiving and knowing? And how does knowledge make a difference in our actions, in our attitudes, and in our loves? In chapter 19 of Luke's gospel, Jesus looks up into a tree and he sees Zacchaeus. It's a funny story, but it teaches us that sometimes we need to be a people who see those who are stranded in one tree or another. I remember hearing a while back that children are remarkably adept at spotting security cameras in malls. Psychologists observe that adults are usually so focused on where they're going and and what they're purchasing that things like cameras and, and other people in high traffic areas can easily be out of sight and out of mind. I love that Jesus talks about noticing people in a crowd. In Luke chapter 5, some friends get a hole-in-the-roof idea, and Jesus looks up and sees a group of friends lowering a paralyzed man down through the roof. Luke tells this story, reminding us that even in a crowd, we need to remember that there will be times when we need to direct our attention to those who can't make it through the door. But it's not just up, it's down too. 
Jesus looks down in Luke chapter 7 to the woman washing and anointing his feet. And Jesus hovers over a deathbed in Luke chapter 8 and staring down death, he holds the hand of a little girl saying to her, child, get up. I wonder if you saw like Jesus, what would be different in your life? I think this is a lesson the gospel writers are desperately trying to teach us. I love that the gospel writers often tell of Jesus healing the blind. Now, let me be clear. I believe that Jesus really did restore sight to those who were blind. But I also think that Jesus restoring sight functions as a critical metaphor for the gospel writers. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament comes when Jesus puts saliva on his hands and, and touches the eyes of a blind man in Mark chapter 8. I love that when he, he first opens his eyes, Jesus asks him what he sees, and the man replies, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. And so Jesus touches the man's eyes again, and Mark tells us, and then he saw everything clearly. At least for me, a part of the reason that this story is so powerful is because it speaks to our inability to see straight in a world that sometimes tells us to focus on the wrong sorts of things. Sometimes we blur our own vision. Seeing rightly is at the heart of what Jesus longs for the crowds, for the religious leaders and his disciples to be able to do. Jesus and the gospel writers are begging us to see in a world where it can be far too easy to shut our eyes. Have you ever thought about that moment when the disciples are in the garden in Luke chapter 22? Right before Jesus is betrayed, arrested, and crucified, Jesus says to his disciples, why are you sleeping? Get up. In other words, pay attention. There are some big moments coming, and you need to see. You need to understand the difference that resurrection makes. You need to see and understand how to look at God and your neighbor. I like how J. David Jeffrey puts it when he gets to Luke 24, the, the sermon text for this morning. He writes, here at the end, as everywhere else in the gospel, we see Luke pointing to the crucial difference between seeing and understanding, between seeing Jesus and, and grasping his identity. Beginning in Luke chapter 24, verse 13, we find a story of two people walking on the road to Emmaus. Beginning in verse 14, we read that these two are talking with each other about all these things that had happened. In short, the word was getting out that the Messiah who was crucified is now alive. Jesus had overcome the violence and the cruelty that had been thrust upon him. Life had been rekindled. Verses 15 and 16 say, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It's strange, really. Overwhelmed with emotion, talking, and excitement, these two don't have the wherewithal to recognize the risen Lord. The, the embodiment of hope is the very one walking with them. In the midst of the interchange, we hear these words beginning in verse 18. 
Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women in our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Sometimes when we're overwhelmed, when tears, emotions, and memories have all been flooding to the forefront, we ramble on. Maybe you know what that's like. That's what these two travelers do. They, they ramble on. It's almost as if, as if they just have to talk it out. I think it's interesting that the Greek root word that's used in verse 14 is homileo, when the two are talking about all of these things. This is the same Greek word where we get the word homily or sermon from Luke tells us in their conversation that their back and forth is something, all of their, their talking, it's something of a sermon. In the midst of their being overwhelmed, they just can't stop talking. And all the while, they don't realize that Jesus is, is actually walking beside them. It's a strange moment in Luke's gospel, but it's also one that I find incredibly comforting. We could muse about all the reasons why they didn't recognize Jesus at first glance. After all, there'd been so much that had taken place. Their world had been dramatically flipped upside down, both by unthinkable grief and then by unsurprising and then surprising hope. I wonder if these two were looking at the ground, and perhaps their eyes were, were darting as they spoke. They've certainly heard that Jesus is now alive, but their eyes seem preoccupied with their own frantic thoughts. Well, the dramatic humor is even intensified when they're talking about all of these things that they've heard only for Jesus to ask, what things? If you're the filmmaker directing this scene, what camera angle would you use? Would it be a wide shot? Or would you zoom in and, and focus on the traveler's eyes? What would be in the frame? Or if you were a painter, how would you capture this journey on the way to Emmaus? Beginning in Luke chapter 14, verse 30, we read, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. In the end, it isn't until these two travelers actually sit down at the table that everything comes into focus. It isn't until then that they realize that Jesus has been with them all along in a strange way. I love that there is this gap in Luke chapter 24, a time when those close to Jesus fail to see him. Sometimes we can't see straight. Sometimes we fail to recognize that there is a word of hope in the hard places, during the confusing times, and when we're just trying to make sense of it all, when we feel overwhelmed by questions of why or how long, 
Luke reminds us to focus on the implications of resurrection life. In these moments, we too can come to the table for clarity. I love the words of Luke Timothy Johnson on this passage, who notes that Luke combines the elements of a recognition story with a sensitivity to a genuine human emotion. I wonder this morning, is there anything getting in the way of us seeing the world as we should? Have we cultivated habits of forgetfulness, distraction, or or self-absorption? The prophets and Jesus spoke a word that is still incredibly relevant. It's one thing to have eyes to see, but it's another matter entirely to perceive rightly in a world that closes its eyes to all sorts of people and situations. In Luke's account, the moment of recognition doesn't happen while they're traveling on the road. Later, in Luke 24, verse 32, those who had been on the road with Jesus said, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening Scripture to us? It's interesting. They didn't see Jesus during the sermon or when he was opening the Scriptures. In retrospect, the journey might have prepared them to see But it wasn't until they actually sat down at the table that they recognized Jesus for who he was. This is, in fact, the very moment that is portrayed in in the painting behind the baptistry. The acclaimed artist Charles Nagel was in his early 80s when he completed the painting. The title of the painting is simply The Recognition. Legend has it that Mr. Nagel painted the face of Jesus 26 times before putting down his brush. I've been enamored this week by the thought of Mr. Nagel, a prominent artist coming to Peachtree and and sitting in the very pews where you are today. When Nagel was 35 years old, a display of his works ran for 13 years at the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. When Mr. Nagel was almost 40, the New York Times wrote, Mr. Nagel does not seem to be in in an experimental stage. He has evidently found what he wants to do, And now he is directing his energies and talents toward perfecting himself on those lines. But then, in the final years of his life, he portrayed this scene based on Luke chapter 24. This scene, this altogether incredible moment is so powerful because it reminds us of all the other moments in the Gospels when the blind are are given sight the recognition that was doubted and questioned and mocked and and spat upon is, is beheld by his disciples in this very moment when they come to the table. I love the fact that you can't look to the communion table today without seeing this painting that attempts to capture that very moment of recognition. I think it invites us to see a Jesus who is there in the midst of our full lives beckoning us to not just see, but to perceive a way of life that is lived in response to resurrection hope. This lovely sanctuary not only surrounds with the biblical narrative, but it also narrows attention to the altar and to the painting behind it. For me, this painting powerfully challenges us to recognize the difference that resurrection life truly makes. At this time this morning, We're going to follow in the order of Luke. You've heard a sermon. 
Scripture has been opened, and now we journey together to the table to eat and to drink as a community that needs to see. May you find or regain your sight at the Lord's table today. May we all open our eyes to the people who matter the most. May we open our hearts, not just to see, but also to perceive and respond with all that we are. May today be a day of recognition.